Ephesians, uh, written by the Apostle Paul to these uh, believers in Ephesus uh, that he had spent three years with and, and had some wonderful times with them. And, uh, and then uh, it, it's broken kind of down into two halves, uh, reminding you again that the guys who wrote the Bible didn't put chapters and verses and all that kind of stuff. That was all thrown in later, so we'd have a point of reference of where to find stuff. So all these numbers, you know, don't really mean anything. They're just broken down this way. But uh, in the first three chapters, very much about theology. What was God thinking? Why are we here? What's going on? Very cool stuff we're having fun with. Then the second, uh, then the last three chapters, uh, very practical down-to-earth Christianity, which we're looking forward to getting into that as well. So anyway, now, where we left off was, um, we're in, in chapter 2, and uh, jumping in, let's say, about verse 6, we'll back up here a little bit, and he's talking about, uh, he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now I talked to you about last week, uh, and actually for a couple of weeks now, about um, why we're here, how all this stuff works. I truly believe that we are in the greatest intermission in eternity. There was this huge rebellion in heaven. Uh, Satan had convinced a third of the angels to rebel against God with him, and then God throws them all out of heaven And rather than going right to judgment, because all these guys need to be judged, these angels need to give an account for what they did, God pauses and he starts playing with the earth. And because that's where he throws the angels down and it's all dark and he turns on the lights, you know, sun and moon and everything else. And and, uh, he rolls back the water and he creates all this uh, creation and people and stuff like that. And all of this is going on because as Paul says here, he wants to demonstrate in us... His kindness. Why is that important? Because I believe, although the Bible doesn't say, you know, we know what Satan's motivation was for rebellion. He was in love with himself. He thought he was awesome. And apparently he's quite the stud. Okay, you know, we we have, you know, we picture Satan with horns and, you know, and a tail and all creepy and stuff, you know, and weird looking gnarly teeth and stuff. No, he's like a super dud, you know, this dude. I mean, this guy's like, wow, he was gorgeous. He's one of the most beautiful angels and he was so caught up in his own beauty. He thought, well, man, I ought to be in charge. Look how good looking I am. Okay, so then he convinced. Now, we know that's his motivation, but what did he tell the others rebel against God. Phenomenal, incredible thing that happened. Well, I believe what he did is he got them to second guess whether or not God really loves them. Same thing he does to all of you and does to people all over the world. It's an effective argument. So what God has been answering, I believe during this intermission where you and I are part of this, is to what depth, what incredible steps he'll go towards to demonstrate his love, which he did when he Became, came to the earth uh, in the form of Jesus, became a man, lived among us, took uh, the punishment on the cross for, for the forgiveness for our sins. I mean, this is incredible that, that God would do this for a bunch of people like us. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us when we were the ickiest. He cared about us when we were a bunch of scuzzbags. You know what I'm saying? Wasn't, he didn't wait for you to get holy and then bless you. He was willing to forgive you when you're absolutely at your worst. Wow, what a phenomenal story. And, and, and all of this, and, and heaven is looking going, wow, wow, wow. 
wow, wow, wow. And the point of this is that for the ages to come, there will never be another rebellion again. Because the next time anybody asks the question, does God really care? God will simply point to you. As an example that he does. How cool is that? God so wants to bless your life. So wants to move in your life. So wants to see you succeed in your life. In every area of your life. So that that God's blessings and favor will so shine in you. That this will be a testament for all eternity. About how much God loves us. And now who has the highest status in heaven? Anybody know? What, what, what does the Bible say? God gave who the highest status? Jesus, okay? Lord of lords, king of kings, no one any higher than that, right? Well, he says that here, what we just read, is God has raised us. Bunch of Polish, Puerto Rican, German, Swedish people from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Raised us up with him. Now, does that mean physically? No, we're still here. What's he talking about? In status. Now, I know we don't get that in our little brains. It's like, how in the world can we, we who struggle, we who don't know anything, we who kind of stumble around life, how can we possibly be given that status? That is what happens when Christ forgives you of your sins. God raises you up and gives you that status. So I don't feel like it. Doesn't matter what you feel like. This is the status you have. And what he prayed earlier in, in, in Ephesians is that our eyes would be open so we could start getting that. So we can really see who we are, who we're capable of, what God wants to do in our lives. Wow, how awesome is that? So he raises us up, so we're up there with him, so much that even uh, the, the angels desire to look into this. I believe angels envy you. Hard to imagine. Because most people will say, you know, would you rather be you or an angel? Most people say, oh, I'll be an angel, I'll get out of this. When the angels will go, I'll trade with them. Why? Because we've got a status lifted up with Christ. You don't get any higher than that. We get up there because of what God has done in our lives and showing this incredible love towards us. Hochi Mama, very cool. And what's wild about it is that Satan hates you and he hates me and he hates people in general. And he's despised us from the beginning, hating this whole uh, experiment, this whole pause. I mean, he despises people. And has brought nothing but pain and heartache. People say, well, if there's a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Because there's a devil, that's why. It's not God's fault. This is Satan's fault. These are the people who have turned their back on God and followed Satan's ways. And all of heaven's watching that too. Remember, Satan convinced a third of them to follow me. Follow me, follow me. And look what he's doing. All they're looking at say, yuck. You follow Satan, look what you get. Blah! See, that's why this is, this is going to forever settle the argument. Oh, this is so cool. Now check this out. Back up to 1 Corinthians. Hang a left. All right? 1 Corinthians. Say, where is it? It's right before 2 Corinthians. Okay, so it's, it's after the Gospels. You see the book of Romans there. And then 1 Corinthians. And chapter 6. So, so go to that. Now Paul is writing to the Corinthians. At some point we're, we're going to do the book of Corinthians. 1 and 2 Corinthians. Phenomenal study, amazing stuff. And First uh, Corinthians, Paul is just chewing these people's butts out big time. The whole thing, he is just. And the Second Corinthians, he's kind of apologizing for being so mean. 
It's real interesting to watch. But he said, I did it for your own good because these guys were really messing up. Well, check out what he's hollering about at this point in the letter. We see in chapter 6, he was getting on these Christians who were acting so carnally, so, so sinfully instead of becoming who God called them to be. You see. Oh, it's just wild, wild stuff. In fact, let me cheat here. Where is this? Where is this? Da, 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 da. Oh, can I find this? Yeah, look at verse 19 in chapter 6 there. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Don't you see? Don't you see? Don't you? Now, a lot of people will use this verse to talk about why we ought to take vitamins and not smoke cigars and, you know, exercise because our bodies are... The, that's not what he's talking about. Look at the context. Back up a little bit. He's talking about having sex with prostitutes. He's hollering at these guys. Apparently, they didn't have a problem. Well, praise God. Well, I guess I go with her for a while, you know. He said, what are you doing? You're supposed to be believers and you're hanging with prostitutes? Don't you realize... Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see who you are? So it's amazing. Now, if, if it had been me, I'd have been really yelling at these guys. So I get to town and you're hanging with prostitutes, I'm going to kill y'all. That's all I'm going to do to all of you. You do that, all right? But he didn't just yell at you, bunch of sinners are going to hell. He said, hey, stop it, stop it, stop it. Don't you see who you are? Oh, it's just, you're all looking at me like I dropped in from Chicago. <laughs> which is another planet um, but, but back up to, to, to verse 1 I, I cheated there um, he, now what he's hollering at him about here is that Christians were suing Christians taking Christians to court and he says you bunch of nitwits what in the world are you doing he was so angry about it so he says if any of you has a dispute with another dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment Instead of before the saints. Now remember the word saints here is talking about Christians. This is interchangeable. It's not talking about a holy sect of special people in heaven. All people who believe in Jesus are in a sense what the Bible calls saints. Alright. Now he says instead of taking this to Christians to settle your argument. You go to judges. Particularly back then they're all just heathen judges. He says do you not know that the saints will judge the world. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? And check this out. Do you not know that we will judge angels? <laughs> now, this is the ultimate insult to the devil. Now, think about it. Satan rises up against God with the third of the angels. He flicks them like a booger and they go down to down to the earth then he comes and and he makes these people and satan just hates these people who are these twits what's going on why the pause i mean they're literally waiting for the judgment they don't know when it's going to happen you'll remember when you read the gospels and stuff and demon possessed people would get around jesus they'd all freak out yell are you here to torture us before the time what time the time of judgment they were so afraid of it they know it's coming and he hates people and, and even adam and eve instead of showing up to tempt them himself he sends a serpent I'm Satan. I'm not going to go to those. What are those things? What are they? They look like God, but they can't fly? They can't fly! And then they got to poop! What is that? And they get tired! So what are they doing? Is it dead? What is that? It's sleeping? What is this? They're mortal. He despises you. He despises me. But yet to us, God comes and shows his incredible love for us. By dying on the cross for us. 
And the kicker of it all is, in the end, you know who's going to judge these angels? You! Me! (laughs) It is the ultimate slam. The people he cannot stand. We will be the ones, the Bible says, we will judge the angels. We will be in the one. The ones who in the end, as each one comes and answers for whatever they did in this rebellion, you and I call the shots on the judgment, which is phenomenal. Say, why would God allow it to us? Because he's lifted you up. You've got this incredible status. Wow. And you know what's a real kicker here? In this he's saying, if we're going to judge the angels someday, surely you're capable of judging problems between Christians. That's what he's saying. Which shows an interesting connection. A lot of people think, well, you know, yeah, when you talk about heaven, yeah, then all, all that stuff will be happening in heaven. And like, you know, this is now and that's then. As if there's no connection. He points out there very much is a connection. Because of what's going to happen then, this is what you ought to be able to do now. There is a connection. We don't have to just live defeated in our lives until we all die. You know, there used to be old songs like that, you know, when I was growing up in church, you know. Farther along we'll know more about it. Right now my life really stinks. Someday we'll be dead. Hallelujah. You know, songs like that. I was like, what? Good grief. All right, that was free. Back over to Ephesians. <laughs> okay, so that's what's going on here. This incredible, incredible thing. God wants to show off in you. That's what I'm trying to get at. In your life. In spite of your struggles. In spite of your mistakes. In spite of your sins. In spite of your flaws. In spite of your husband. <laughs> In spite of your wife, in spite of your children, God wants to bless you. He wants to show, more than that, he wants to show off in you. Are you getting this? This is so cool. God took my life. You know, I got a long way to go. God only knows that's my wife. I got a long way to go. But boy, if you can see where I've been. Come a long way, baby. I know some of you can say the same thing. You know, we get struggled because we're not where we want to be and we know God's still dealing with us. But you turn around and look at where you were in the beginning. I was a mess wrapped up in trouble. Just a disaster. My life was going nothing, meant nothing. Empty, void, pain, heartache. And then Jesus came and redeemed the unredeemable and is making something out of nothing. That's the cool thing about God. You say, I'm a nothing? That's great news. Because God makes something out of nothing. You say, everything in my life is dead. That's good news. God raises the dead. He loves taking the impossible, the nothing, and make something out of it. Okay, so now, continuing on, we're picking up now at verse 11. Now, um, much of the New Testament, and I've, I've said this to you, but I've got to keep repeating it because... The New Testament sometimes to a lot of people gets confusing. You're reading stuff and you think, what are they talking about? One of the confusing things in the New Testament is that they are constantly addressing this argument and this rift between Jews and non-Jews. It's hard for us to relate to because we don't have that anymore. 2,000 years later, no one even thinks about that anymore. In the beginning, all the believers, all the Christians were Jewish. 
And then all these non-Jewish people, you and me, unless you happen to be Jewish here, all of a sudden we start coming to God in faith and the Jews couldn't stand us. They really couldn't. You talk about bigotry. People say, well, the Jews didn't follow Jesus because they didn't accept him as the Messiah. Not true. Not true. They didn't have a problem with Jesus as the Messiah. Tens of thousands of them believed in Jesus as the Messiah. 7,000 in a day, 5,000 in a day. Read the book of Acts. It's phenomenal. What they couldn't stand is you. Me. You mean a Puerto Rican be saved? You mean a Polish person can be saved? How is that possible? Because they just, because all their lives, all the promises were to the Jews. Were to the Jews. And there were the Gentiles. We're going to heaven. Everybody's going to hell. It wasn't even a problem to them. And then all of a sudden, God is accepting everybody? How is this possible? And they had such a problem with it. That's what pushed most Jews away from Christianity. Was the fact that we could come in without having to become Jews. They were open to us coming in as long as we became like them. And obeyed all the laws of Moses and got circumcised and did all the things that you had to do. Uh, but when that didn't happen. So anyway, there was, there was this struggle. And you'll, you'll read about it from time to time. We're about to read about it right now. I forgot to put on my bifocals before I came out. But <clears throat> anyway, my geezer eyes. <laughs> Therefore, he writes, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. We were, in a nutshell, without hope and without God in the world. Outside of the Jewish nation, everybody was without hope and without a chance because all of God's promises were to the Jews until the Messiah came. But now he goes on, verse 13, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. What two? Gentile and Jew has made them one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By the way, I'm going to be preaching this in a couple of weeks, but uh, um, on a Sunday morning. But Christianity, what always amazed people, what, what made it so powerful was that people who should not have anything to do with each other loved each other. Remember Jesus said, this is how all men will know you're my disciples, when you have love for one another. You had Jew, you had Gentile, you had slaves, came to worship with non-slaves. You had men worshiping, and shock of shocks, they let women in. Hey, reality check. Look at some of the, even uh, conservative uh, Judaism to this day. Women can't come in. They have to sit in the outside. Yeah, very cool, huh? Uh, look, at, look at Islam. Women, not a chance. They can't even be in the room when everybody else is bound. They have to be in the back. Christianity was the first religion who came and said, everybody's welcome. Everybody's in on this. Jesus was the ultimate liberator. Men, women, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, black, purple, green, Roman soldiers. As they got converted, all the people in the world who should have nothing to do with each other came together and loved each other. Wow. And the church still needs to be that way. Come on. One of the most segregated hours in the world is on Sunday morning. 
black churches, Hispanic churches, pink churches, green churches, rich churches, poor churches. That's an abomination. We should all be able to get together in the love of Christ. And the more diversity, the more people will go, wow, holy cow. Really, that's what will touch them. Jesus said by this, what? This demonstration of being able to love people. Little sweet grandmas being nice to guys with tattoos from head to toe. (laughs) Girly men with guys like Kabir. You know, we all can get along and love and care for each other. Rich, poor, black, white, pink, it doesn't matter. Wow. Anyway, that's a preview. Okay. For he himself is our peace. And he made the two one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Okay, what's he talking about now? What he's talking about is this, the commandments. Look at the Old Testament, the big fat part of your Bible. Loaded with commandments and regulations. The law of Moses was a serious drag. Even the Jews admitted. Even as you're reading the argument, they're saying, man, why are we trying to make... They they would argue, why are we trying to make the Gentiles obey this when we can't even do it? Why are we putting this weight on them when it's been a burden to us for centuries? But they, they just wouldn't let go of it. You know, they're just hanging on to it. Well, Jesus comes and it says, in his flesh, he abolishes the commandments and regulations. You say, all the commandments and regulations are gone? Yeah, well, what do we live by now? We live by the law of life in Christ Jesus. The law of faith. We obey Jesus' commandments. The, the teachings of the New Testament. And the law of life. In, 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 and, and the law of love, which basically fulfills a lot of the commandments. In other words, thou shalt not kill is fulfilled. You can't love somebody and kill them. You don't love somebody and steal their wife. You don't love people and lie to them. All that is fulfilled in love. And now it's not just about commandments and regulations. And by the way, the, you know, a lot of people always keep going back, Christians, for some bizarre, twisted, unexplainable reason. I know so many who keep going back to the Old Testament. Now, if you want to learn stuff from it and, and, and use some examples in it, and some people I know take diets by the Old Testament, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine, but just be careful. You're not doing something religious here. All that stuff from a religious standpoint has been done away with. Somebody say amen. All right? Don't try to be something, you know, because uh, as we read in James, he says, if you're going to try and obey any of it, you've got to obey all of it. You can't pick and choose. And, and why anybody wants to go back and live by all that stuff, it is oppressive. And, it's, and people who do are very selective. I mean, it's really mean back there. You know what they did to you if you worked on the Sabbath? They would kill you. That's pretty strong. Now some of you haven't been in church on Sunday because you're on vacation. Nobody tried to kill you. All right. By the way, I'm supposed to be on vacation right now. <laughs> See, well, that's not much of a vacation. Yeah, this is vacation. I still love, I love the Bible, man. I love it. And, and for us, vacation is not going anywhere. Because we travel constantly. You know, so for the last couple of weeks, I've just been hanging around the house being grandpa and, and tormenting my children by sending home very spoiled little children. 
<laughs> Vengeance is mine. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, uh, they're very strict. So anyway, the good news is Jesus broke all that. And he goes on and says, his purpose was to create in himself, in Christ, one new man out of the two. Jew, Gentile, making one, a believer, a Christian. Thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. This war between us. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. Gentiles. And peace to those who were near, near the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, Jesus makes it all right, man. And again, we don't have these struggles today because nobody even thinks about this kind of stuff. But that's, uh, some places it gets real confusing. You know, Romans gets kind of, Hebrews gets real confusing. A lot of it's because they're dealing with these issues. Consequently, he says, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. You're not an illegal alien. Come on. That's the worst kind to be. Not, not an illegal alien in a country, but an eagle, illegal alien with God. People who try to come to God without Christ and without surrendering their lives to Christ are illegal aliens. And while here, if you're an illegal alien, the worst is they'll deport you. And, but uh, the worst here, you don't want the worst here, being an illegal alien. You want to be truly connected with God through Christ. Okay? We are no longer aliens and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. I should say he's lifted you up to the status raised up there in the heavens with Christ. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, a real church isn't a building. It's not, it's not a building. This, this isn't the church. You are the church. I am the church. When we come together, we represent the church of Christ. Okay? We are living stones, Peter said. And we are built together. We're building a temple to God. When you, you don't take off your hat and walk in the church, you take your hat off the church. You see, we are the church. Are you getting that? There's nothing something particularly special and holy about being in a building called a church. Now, it's fine to be respectful and all that kind of stuff. But uh, God doesn't live in buildings. God isn't just sitting there hanging, you know, underneath the organ waiting for you to show up. All right, he's everywhere. He's not hanging in an altar. Sometimes people say, how come you don't have an altar? Well, you know, I understand what it represents. And some churches do that, and that's fine. But God really doesn't live in an altar. He lives everywhere. He lives in me. He lives in you by the Spirit of God. And together, as we join together and become a, a, found, a, a, a building, we create a place that God can live, which is within people. And uh, just like this wall, in a sense, depends on that wall and that wall and that wall, even though they're very different and they look different and they're very far from each other, they're all working together for the same thing i.e. keeping the ceiling from falling on our heads. All right? Go wall. <laughs> okay, so he goes and he says in chapter 3 now, he says, uh, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. That's why I'm doing this stuff. You have to remember, he wrote to the Ephesians uh, now that he's a prisoner. Remember the Holy Spirit told him 
that he was about to go through a hard time of persecution and, and, and suffering. And remember, he, he called the Ephesians together, the, Ephes, the, Ephesians, uh, the leaders from Ephesus, and they prayed together and they cried. And he says, the Lord has revealed to me that I'll never see your face again. We'll never see each other again in this life. And they all cried. You remember that? You know, because, and this is now him. He's gone and now he is. He's been arrested and from prison, he's writing to them and serving them even as his liberty has been taken from him. So, he says, surely you have, talking about himself, this is, this is I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for your sake. He says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me, for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. What is he talking about? He says, God has called me he, he, the, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. This was Paul's calling, to go to people who are not Jews. Even though when he first came to town, he'd always go to the Jews first. He'd always go to the synagogue first. After a while, they eventually kicked him out. And then he'd go to the rest. And he would minister the gospel. And and he says, God has given me this calling and this administration to administer God's grace to the Gentiles. Which, by and large, is why Paul, most of the New Testament, is written by Paul overwhelmingly you got a couple of little things in there by Peter and John and James pops in a little bit you know but <clears throat> overwhelmingly it's it's by 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 the apostle Paul he had a phenomenal impact in setting up the church as we know it today because of God's calling in his life this is why God had called him for this um, so in verse 4 he says in reading this then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets this mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles in other words all of us here are now heirs together with Israel members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus everything he's talking about this great mystery was it's again for us it doesn't seem very mysterious to us we kind of get it you know, Christianity's been around for 2,000 years and it seems pretty simple. And that's why we get a little confused when we read this. But to these guys at the time, it was very mysterious. Uh, you know, to the Jews that, that we could get in and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and pointing out to the, to the Gentiles that God's been at the salvation thing from the very beginning through the nation of Israel and, and just making sense out of it, all of it for them. So he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people. (laughs) Less than the least. He's a very humble man. Um, Now what's interesting uh, is that Paul, uh, as far as religiosity was concerned, said, I was basically perfect. I I didn't break any rules. I followed everything exactly. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He'd been through the whole deal and done everything exactly the way he should be. And he had this zeal for Judaism so much that he tried to kill Christians. Remember that in the beginning? It was Paul. Uh, Well, his name was Saul at the time. And uh, he was so on fire for for his religion and defending the things of God. He he considered Christians as as a threat. And he came after them and he imprisoned them. And uh, they killed the first martyr, Stephen, and all this stuff. Paul had a lot of blood on his hands and had brought a lot of pain. And then Jesus gets his attention and saves him. Is this, I mean, that, that would be like Osama bin Laden getting born again. Seriously. Think how you'd feel about that. He showed up in church. 
you know, that they, they, Paul had a hard time in the beginning. They didn't want anything to do with him. They didn't believe him. They thought, he's, it's a trick. He's going to kill us all. You know, but uh, obviously he, he truly had quite a, uh, quite a, a transforming experience. So he says, although I'm the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me, this guy, to me, me, the one who attacked and persecuted Christians. God came. And talk about God being willing to use people at their, even in the midst of their being their worst. God looked at Saul and said, I have a plan for this boy. So from now on, your name's going to be Paul. And you're going to preach my gospel to the Gentiles. Wow. Very, very cool. So this grace was given to me. Preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was, now, uh, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities. Where? In the heavenly realms. See, they're all watching what's going on. <laughs> this is so cool. Through us as believers, all of that so God can demonstrate his love to all of them. To forever settle this argument that just occurred. And even though it's been thousands of years since all this has happened with mankind on earth. In heaven it's been like tick, tick, tick. Pretty wild, huh? Okay. Uh, According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Everybody say freedom. Freedom. We can approach God with freedom. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm free at last. We don't have to be afraid of God. You know, people are afraid. I know people who, you know, you try to invite them to church and they're afraid. They're afraid to come into church. They'll say stuff like, well, if I go to church, you know, God will strike me dead. You know, fire will come down, so the place will explode, you know, because they're just, you know. And what's sad is a lot of times even Christians become fearful of God and, and they lose their confidence. He says here that uh, we should have freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. Not afraid to come to God, to celebrate God, to come to him uh, realizing, not because of us, but because of his incredible grace and him lifting us up to the status. We, can, we now have free access to God. You don't have to go through anybody to get to God. You don't have to go through me. You don't have to go through any other minister. You don't have to pray to his mom or anybody else. You can go, di- come on, you can go directly to God. Because of what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. You say, well, a lot of people do that the other way. Well, whatever. But I'm just telling you what the Bible's teaching here. We have freedom and confidence and we can approach God directly. And it's a wonderful thing. This is great. Hallelujah. And, and God wants you to be confident with Him. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be able, even in the midst of your faults and your mistakes. I mean, stop and think. You know, some people, they, they treat God, you know, like, and they speak in Old English, Oh, thou most omnipotent, eternal Father. Thou art so kind, and we pray that you would take just a moment to glance this direction. Good night. 
Can you imagine your kids coming to you and saying, Dad, thou most holy dad, I know you'd like to kill me, but could, could I have five bucks for lunch? You'd feel horrible if your kids approached you that way. Your kids don't, man, my kids didn't approach me that way. My grandkids don't negotiate the proper way to approach Pastor Mark. They come running, Bobby, 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 ah! And just jump. And hope I catch, you know. At least I hope I catch. There, there's no, no, no doubt to them. Why? Because there's confidence. There's freedom around Bobby. See, that's why God wants you to be around him. You can come to him, even when you have owies. Even when you hurt yourself. You know, my grandkids doesn't scrape his knee and go, Oh, oh Grandpa, I'm not worthy. <laughs> you told me to slow down and I didn't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, they get an owie, the first person they run to. Bobby! Or Manny, whoever's around. <laughs> They come running. You know what it's like with your kids? They come running to you. Why? There's a freedom and there's a confidence. If your kids are afraid of you, something's wrong. Something's terribly wrong. In God, we have that freedom and that confidence that we can approach him. Wow. So cool. So he says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. Which are for your glory. Don't get bummed out, guys, because I'm having a hard time. You know, sometimes things happen and you don't understand why they're happening. Even though he told them this was what was going to happen. You know, it's like, wow, why is this happening? You know, he's, he's a great guy and, and now he's suffering and he's being persecuted. And why is that? You know, and it kind of gets discouraging sometimes when things don't go the way that you planned. And he says, don't be discouraged. Stay in this attitude of confidence. And freedom. Don't let my circumstances pull you down. And I believe you could have equally said, don't let any circumstance pull you down. Don't get discouraged. I know it's easy to get discouraged. Sometimes people have really bad days. Sometimes everything just seems to go wrong. You say, why is that, Pastor? I don't know. know. Well, is it the devil? I could be. Is it God? Maybe. Is it me? Probably. <laughs> but don't get discouraged. God, you know, on something you say, well, Pastor, everything's always going well for you. No. <laughs> Things have not always gone well for me. I've had some really bad days in my life. Things were everything. Were just I've got so many stories. Goodness gracious. You want to hear one? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, tell us how your life stinks. Uh, I was thinking about this this afternoon as I was reading about not getting discouraged and how things can go wrong. I remember uh, when Deb and I, uh, I don't know, we'd probably been married three or four years or whatever, and uh, we were traveling around the country with this evangelical team, and we were, you know, we lived in buses and tents and everything. It was just whatever. You know, we were kind of hippies for Jesus, you know, back then. And uh, um, that was kind of the hip thing. And, uh, uh, you know, we weren't trying to make any, we didn't get paid. I mean, just, we just all gave of our time, volunteered, just we'd forsaken everything, just left everything. We just wanted to go serve Jesus. And uh, we, uh, one winter, you know, when weather gets really lousy, we would try and find a place to kind of hole up for a while before the spring that we'd go out and start ministering again in different cities. And Anyway, um, 
this one city, uh, one winter, we were staying in Nashville, Tennessee. Actually, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. It's up in the hills with the hillbillies. I mean, honest to goodness, hillbillies. Yeah, I mean, our next door neighbor smoked a corn cob. His wife smoked a corn cob pipe. You know, and shot guns at us. You know, she did. One day, her, one of our buses got too close to her property. And rather than going out and asking us not to do that, she just... I started blowing out tires. These people don't negotiate. You know what I'm saying? They don't mess around. Make, you know, it was wild. It was, it was crazy. Anyway, we're up in the hills of Tennessee. And we're kind of hanging out. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I, I need to get into town to, to, to make a phone call. I just, I just need to make a phone call. This is before cell phones and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, I need to make a phone call. I hadn't talked to my mom and dad for a while. And I need to touch base. And, and uh, it had been raining all day. And it was just drizzle, not heavy rain, but drizzle, 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 drizzle. And, uh, but, uh, you know, they, you have these hills all over the place up there. And in between the hills, they call them hollers. I don't know why they call them that. But uh, we were sitting in one of the hollers. And they have all these dry creek beds. And they stay dry unless it rained. And then the creek beds would rise. And that's where you get the phrase, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. You ever heard that phrase? That's because if you're up there and the creek rises, you ain't going anywhere, Jack. All right, so I knew that had been raining all day, and the creek was probably rising. We had two creeks to cross, and uh, um, I went and asked a friend if I could borrow his pickup truck because he had a real tight distributor cap on the thing, and it was kind of a cool-looking truck with the roll bars and the lights and all that kind of stuff. I said, "Man, I need to go make a phone." And I said, "Oh yeah, yeah." So, so I mean, it is dark. It is dark. We're out in the middle of the hillbilly. I was going to say hillbilly heaven, one heaven, <laughs> closer to hell. But uh, 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 dark and there was no lights and the cloud covered and no stars. It is pitch black. And all you can see is just these lights going out and just disappearing into everything because it's so dark. And uh, cruising along and I come up to the first creek and the truck comes. And I said, okay, well, here we go. So I backed up and I hammered it. And water flying every which way. And coming out on the other side. I'm like, whoa, this is deep, man. I mean, this thing had really filled up. These creek beds are getting nasty. Uh, and then I went a little bit further and I had to cross the second one. And I crept, crept up to it, but you couldn't see anything. It was so black, just no reflection, just everything dark. I said, well, let's give it a shot. So I back up and I hammered and uh, got go splashing. And about halfway through, it died. And I went, oh, no, 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 I just want to make a phone call. You know, I dropped my head on the steering wheel, and I looked down, and I saw water rushing in the door. And I went, good grief, how deep is this? And I looked up, and I could see the lights hitting the the bank on the other side, and the bank was moving. I went, wait a minute, banks don't move. It's me. And what I had done is I had skimmed across the top of that thing like a little rock. And now the creek has taken me downstream. And I am freaking out. And I tried to open the door, but good thing I'm a little skinny Puerto Rican guy because I didn't have enough. Because if I would have, you know, water would have, you know, but you're not thinking, right? But I couldn't open it because of the pressure. So I rolled down the window and I climbed out and I stood up on top of the truck. And I started pacing back and forth, which was a really short trip. And I'm going... What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I, I thought, I'll jump in the water, I'll swim for it. But I thought, I, if it's carrying the truck, what's it going to do to me? And I'm freaking out and I didn't know what to do. And then it dawned on me, we're heading for a dam. I went, ah! Lord, a little help, a little help here. And I'm, I'm freaking out. 
And before we get to the dam, there's this bend in the creek, and it goes down. You know, by the way, people down south get themselves killed all the time doing this. You read these stories? Yeah, Mr. Moron here. So anyway, so all of a sudden, we hit this bend, and the truck had built up enough speed that it kept going straight, and it wasn't making the turn. I'm going, come on, come on, come on. And it finally bumped up against a tree, which I held on with great compassion. I love you. And I slid down into the water. And I finally touched bottom. Oh, thank you, Lord. So I start walking my way towards land. And all I could think of was water moccasins. Because they have these poisonous snakes down there. I felt like I was on a Jaws movie, you know. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, God, please don't let me die with a snake. Please don't let me die with the snakes. And I finally climb out of the thing, and I'm heading back on the high road back to the camp. And I get halfway through, and the road had gotten washed out because of a flash flood. And now there's a jump, like, from here to over there. There's nothing. And I didn't know what to do. I was so freaked out. And I was so disgusted. And I ran back, and I ran, and I leaped as fast as I could, thinking I'd land over here. But I dropped and landed in the side of the... Just splat mud. I'm crawling up the mud. And I, I, you can imagine how wonderful I looked when I finally showed up at the bus. I looked like something the cat dragged in from a... From, you know, and the truck sank to the bottom and, and, and I knock on the door and my wife opens up and I'm just in her covered with mud. I'm having a bad day. I just wanted to make a phone call. This was a bad day for me. You say, why did that happen? Mostly because I'm a moron. That's why it happened. I don't blame the devil and I do not blame God. But who cares? Sometimes things just go horribly, horribly wrong. And God loves us and saves us in spite of all of that. Hallelujah. And even when things go wrong, we can still be free and confident. And I was so grateful. Thank you, God. I should be dead. Thank you that I'm not. I was very glad for that day. Anyway, I'm done. Okay. Next, next Wednesday, we will pick it up uh, at verse 16, 14 there. And we'll continue going through this phenomenal book of Ephesians. Y'all having fun with this? All right. I'm going to ask our team to come up and our ushers to come forward. And we're going to take our offering.